So last week we started this series called Massive, and we learned about the massive and the bigness of God, and we're continuing that today. And I want to ask you a question this morning. What is the greatest thing that you have ever done in your life? I mean, the greatest thing that you've ever done, the one thing at the end of your life that you will look back above everything else, and it will stand out as a shining light and say, that was the greatest thing I ever did. I bet as you start to think about it in your life, it's probably harder than, than, than you may think. Maybe like you saved like a baby from a burning building or something. You're like, that was it. Maybe like you drank a whole gallon of milk and you didn't throw up. You know, I mean, that, maybe that was it. But, but, but if you were to think of one thing, I bet it's harder than what you can imagine. I was trying to think my, myself this week. What was the one thing that I did above everything else? And I really couldn't think of much. And I thought of one thing. And, and what it was, it was uh, one time, it was in uh, 2003, and I just shaved my head or my hair all off. And I had like this skin head, and I looked pretty menacing and like tough. And well, I thought I did. And, and I went with my friends, it was Good Friday, and I went with my friends, and uh, we just stopped by McDonald's that night. And we went into McDonald's, and there was a bunch of kids in McDonald's. There was uh, probably about 20 to 30 kids in McDonald's. They were probably from the ages of about 14 to 18. And one of the girls in the crowd started saying things that weren't very nice to one of the McDonald's employees. And she started like screaming and saying all this stuff and shouting. And the McDonald's employee was very intimidated and uh, was, you know, just getting very upset. And my blood started to boil. And I was just getting really mad. And my friends could see that I was getting mad. And they just left. And they just walked out. Well, I was sitting there. And so instead of being the good Christian guy and saying, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, Jesus died for you. This is what I did. I went right up to her chair. I pulled the chair. She fell on her butt. And, and I went, get out. Like this. I just shaved my head. I was feeling like strong. So... She, 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 she got up. She looked at me. I went, get out right now. Well, next thing I know without even thinking about it, I've got like these 25, 30 young people just looking at me, giving me these evil eyes. And instead, uh, I, and suddenly my friends, I could just see them peeing through the, the glass, thinking, oh, no, we better get out of here. Alex is toast. So I told her to get out. Then one of the guys, who was obviously one of the ringleaders of the group, came over to me, and I told him, he says, what's going on? I said, you better get her out of here. Otherwise, I'm going to cause some damage in this place. That's what I said. You know, <laughs> sounds really good. And he looked at me, and he was trying to intimidate me, and I just looked him right back in the eye, and he was like, okay, I'll take care of it. And there was a bunch of them, they just took the girl out. And I sat down on my own, because my friends had left me, and I finished my McDonald's. <laughs> and I look back, I'm like, man, that was pretty amazing. It really was. But the fact is, in the whole course of history, nobody is ever going to know that Alex saved the McDonald's employee. <laughs> and even the McDonald's employee probably doesn't even remember me doing that. The, the thing is, the things that we do in life, the great things that we do in life, sometimes in the whole spectrum of this universe can seem so insignificant. You know, if, if, if I discovered the cure to a deadly disease that nobody else had ever cured, maybe people might remember it for 50, 100 years, but eventually people will forget it. 
If I was Will Smith in I Am Legend, people would eventually forget it. Because you know what? In the whole scope of the size of this universe, our acts of love, our acts of bravery, uh, when we become a hero, really they are so insignificant in the size of this universe. When I think about the incredible size of, size of God, when we look up at the night sky, when we think that the brightest star that you will see in the sky tonight is so far away that humanity will never be able to reach it, I start to realize my insignificance in this life. I start to realize that the fact that God created one star is a greater act than anything anyone has ever done on planet Earth. But God didn't just create one star. God created billions and billions and billions of stars. When we think about the greatest act this world has ever seen, you just have to look up. But yet while God the Creator the one who created everything that was good, the one who created the stars and the moon and the planets and the vastness of this universe, God the creator, instead of looking up, God looked down to discover his greatest act. Now, before we talk about what that greatest act is, I want to lay just a quick few foundations for you. So we see what the greatness of what God did. And the first thing I want us to look at this morning is the massiveness or the greatness of God's word, of God's word. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you want to turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, the gospel of John, it's in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, John chapter 1. And as you find in that, last week we discovered that in the beginning there was God. God created the heavens and the earth. That's what the Bible tells us. The earth was formless. The earth was dark. The earth was void. And in a moment, in one moment, God spoke light into existence. In one moment, God's voice created the sun. And really that could have been God's greatest act. I mean, have you ever tried to speak something into existence? Like you try to say, like, let there be light, and there is light. You can't do it. But God did it. But then, not only that, but then God spoke this lifeless planet, which was void and dark, into life. He created the living things. He created the trees and the plants and the seas and the mountains and the animals. This also could have been God's greatest Then after that, he spoke into being, human life, you and me. Through God's voice, he spoke this into being. This, uh, us beings, us human beings who are actually made in the image of God, this too could have been God's greatest act. And as I think about the creation story, it makes me wonder, what's so special about God's voice? I mean, what's so special about God's voice? Why is God's voice so powerful? And that's where we come to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And this is what it says in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. The Word. 
God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never distinguish it. So when God spoke the world into existence, when God spoke light into existence, when God spoke your life into existence, it wasn't just the mouthpiece of God. It was an integral piece to the life of God. It was, the Bible says that there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It was like the word was God, but it was also a different person as well. If you can kind of make sense of that. And we are told here that the word was the one that brought life to everything. The word brought life to everything. The word brought life into this world. And the word, the word that John talks about here is equally as great and as big as God is in the creation story that we find in Genesis chapter 1. Let me continue reading this in John. John chapter 1 verse 6. It said, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, that's the word, gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and they even rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Then it says this, so the word, the one who was there in the beginning, became human and made his home amongst us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. It says, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. And then verse 17, and this is one I want to get to today. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. So we have this thing called the word which was there at the beginning of time. It created the heavens and the earth. And John says that that word came into this world as a human being, and that human being was Jesus Christ. This massive voice, this massive word that the the Greeks called the Logos, he took all his power, all his, his love, all the vastness of God, and he condensed it. And he brought it together and he condensed it in the form of a human being called Jesus Christ. You know, if I'm thinking about it, that's a pretty pretty neat act to do. 
If anything, that probably could be the greatest act that God ever did. I mean, he can create the sun and the stars, but to take everything that is God and condense it in a human being, that really could be the greatest act ever. It was a great word. But then not only that, but then this, this person, Jesus Christ, who was God in human form, he, he came and he did something even more spectacular. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, it tells us, Peter, who was a friend of Jesus Christ, he says this. He said, Jesus never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. A man, Peter, who knew what it was to sin, who knew Jesus, he said this about Jesus. Man, he's clean. There's no sin in him. There's no wrong in him at all. Think about that for a moment. There was no pride in Jesus. There was no envy in Jesus. There was no jealousy. There was no selfishness. There was no letting money control his life. There was no impure thoughts about the beautiful female creations that he saw. There was no desire for revenge. There was no hate in his mind. You just try and live a day or two where you don't deceive anyone or you're totally blameless. Maybe you can do one or two days. Maybe the really like holy people amongst us can do like a week, you know? But that's the exception. Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, from the moment he was born to 33 years later when he died, not one time did he sin. Not one time did he have impure thoughts. Not one time did he envy or have pride or was jealous or was, was, was angry in, in an unrighteous way. Not once did he lie, did he cheat, did he steal. Not once in 33 years. Parents this morning, you, how long does it take for your child, your beautiful child that is born, you know, that all they want to do is eat and sleep and the other thing as well. And that's all they want to do. How long does it take from that moment to them actually doing something that's wrong? Where they may take something that's not theirs. Or they may uh, say something that isn't right. Or they, they may lie or, or, or they may you know, hit somebody in an angry way or something. It doesn't take very long for children to do that. But Jesus Christ, God in human form, for 33 years, not once, did he sin? Now that is a massive life. A massive life. There has never been anyone before him or after him who could say that this may have just been the greatest act that God had ever done. But when Peter said this about Jesus, Jesus never sinned, Jesus never did anything wrong. Peter wasn't just saying his own words. In fact, Peter was using the words of another man. A man called Isaiah. Isaiah lived hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was even born. And he predicted that there would be a man who would live a life that was blameless. But Isaiah's focus wasn't just on a blameless life. It was on a massive act of love that God wanted to do for you and for me. And this is what he says in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, starting at verse 1. He says this, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? 
My servant grew up in the Lord's presence, presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in the dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and he did not care. So we've got this guy, Isaiah, and he predicts that there is a servant of God who was God and was with God who had come to this earth. And this person, he was physically nothing to look at. He wasn't like eye candy that you would be like, whoa, check him out. He wasn't like that. He was physically nothing to look at. And he suffered rejection in this life. The Bible says he was filled with grief. But yet he was rejected. He was grief strucken and he still did not sin. And so if this that Isaiah is talking about is Jesus Christ, then I want us to read the rest of this chapter using the words, the word that John describes who Jesus is, the word, the one who was here before time began, the word. And this is what it says, Isaiah chapter 53, starting at verse 4. Yet it was our weaknesses the word carried. It was our sorrows that weighed the word down. And we thought the word's troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for the word's own sins. But the word was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. The word was beaten so we could be made whole. The word was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, are strayed away. We have left God's path to our own. Yet the Lord laid on the word the sins of us all. The word was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet the word never said a word. Just imagine this for a moment. The one who spoke the world into existence, the one who spoke life into existence in the very moment when he was treated harshly. He could have said anything. He could have said and the angels could have come down and and rescued him. He could have said anything, destroyed the world. But in the moment that he was treated harshly, the word didn't even say a word. It says he was, the word was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, the word did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, the word was led away. No one cared that the word died without descendants, that the word's life was cut short in midstream. But the word was struck down for the rebellion of my people. The word had done no wrong. And the word had deceived no one. That's what Peter said. He had done no wrong or deceived anyone. The word was buried like a criminal. The word was put in a rich man's grave. When I read that and I think about God, God the word, the one who was here before time began and what he went through, all I can say is wow. Wow. What a massive life. What he went through was unimaginable. Think for this for a moment. The one who commands the stars, the one who lit the sun, the one who, who commands that the planets circulate around the sun, the one who breathed life 
into this world, allowed this world to take life from him, and it was for me, and it was for you. Why? Because we were empty. We were sinful. We had turned our backs on God, on the one who created us, the one who created the rules for the universe, looked on us in love because we had actually broken the rules. And from his high place as ruler of the universe, he came down to this tiny planet. Just think how small this planet is in the whole spectrum of this universe. It's just a little tiny speck in the massiveness of this universe. He could have just destroyed this planet and he could could have created a new planet. But no, from his lofty place, from his high place as ruler of the universe, he condensed himself and all his power into human form to take our punishment for breaking the rules. You know, one of the guys here at Generation Church, Cody, he was telling me the other day, said he's been trying to grow some tomatoes. And last year, he grew the tomatoes, and they got rabbits, and they came and ate all the tomatoes. He says, so this year, I made some sacrificial lettuce. That's what he said. What he did, he grew some lettuce in front of the tomatoes, and the rabbits came. They obviously weren't very smart, and they ate the lettuce, and they left the tomatoes alone. When I heard that, I was like, man, that's amazing. Because that's exactly what God did for us. We should have come and we should have been consumed because of our sin. We should have died because of our sin, like a rabbit eating a tomato. But instead, Jesus came and he took your place and he took my place. From his high place in heaven, he came down and he took our place. Jesus, the Word, the Logos. The one who breathed life into this earth took our place. He gave his life for us so that our lives could be saved and we could be made whole. You know, Isaiah continues. As we close today, Isaiah continued in this massive act of love that God did. And this massive sacrifice was probably the greatest act that God had ever done. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. God decided to crush Jesus and cause him grief. Yet his life made an offering for sin. He will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, the Bible says he will be satisfied. He will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier. Because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Jesus Christ saved his greatest act. This universe has ever seen, and he saved it for you. He saved it for you. A moment that will go down in history as the greatest act of eternity was made for you. The awesome creator, the one who spans the universe, the one who can speak a universe into existence, the one who can put the fire in the sun, saved his greatest act for you. 
And our acts may be insignificant in this life, but you, you are not insignificant. You are not insignificant. For your name, whatever your name may be, is attached in eternity with being part of this massive sacrifice, the greatest act of God this universe has ever seen. And you are part of it. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.